Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome back to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today we are in episode 235 with Coach Larry Starr. He's the head girls basketball coach at Monacan High School in Richmond, Virginia. Today's topic, practice organization. Coach Starr is in his 16th year at Monacan High School in Virginia. He has an overall record of 327 and 85 at Monacan. He has qualified for 10 years in the state tournament, three-time Virginia Division IV Coach of the Year. 2017, his team went 30-0, ranked as high as second in the country, ended up ranked seventh. He has four state Division IV state championships in Virginia, 2015, 16, 17, and 20. Coaches, let's welcome Coach Larry Starr. All right, everybody. Hey, let's welcome to episode 235 of the Championship Vision Podcast. Back-to-back Virginia. We're going back-to-back doubleheader of Virginia coaches. Last time we had Carol uh, Basile, and now we have her coach and really, really Virginia coaching legend out there, uh, Larry Starr. He's the uh, head girls basketball coach at Monacan High School in Richmond, Virginia. Larry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Kevin. I really appreciate you having me. And, and, you know, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts in the past. So I feel kind of privileged to be asked to be on here. All right. I appreciate you coming on. Hey, tell us a little bit. I, the one thing I want to hear is I, my first job was Amelia Academy. And you got to tell me, <laughs> you've been in the same old office, the old gym of Amelia Academy. Uh, talk about that. And I I don't know how many games you won. I know in four years, I didn't win a lot of games, to be honest with you, Coach. Uh, but it was the best experience of my life. Talk about, like, how you kind of started in coaching, a little bit about Amelia Academy. 
Well, you know, I was in the insurance business uh, back in the late 1990s. I, I, the reason I ended up in, in Virginia is I got out of the Army at Fort Lee um, after Desert Shield. And then so I was in the insurance business and um, I started missing basketball, you know, and, and I had three daughters and I um, started refereeing and coaching AAU and, and I was refereeing high school ball. Well, I really, you know, uh, started thinking about a career change. I, I just, I love to coach. And um, so I made a last minute decision and we took a big pay cut. And my wife cried and cried and cried because we took such a huge pay cut. Yeah. But um, we had a little bit of savings in the bank and Amelia Academy knew me from refereeing and some of the referee, they had gone to some referees looking for coaches uh, who they would have an idea of coach because what they started doing is they started to recruit some foreign players in. And uh, so they wanted what they considered a quality coach. Well, it was a perfect job for me. I, I went there. I just was there one year. We went 24 and 6. Um, you know, the bottom line is I, I really wanted to be in girls because, you know, I had three daughters playing. And, um, but anyway, I went 24-6. Everything was great. And I actually left there. It was, it was kind of weird how I left there because um, uh, they, I, was, I was planning on staying because I didn't have a girl's job. And then all of a sudden, uh, Dinwiddie High School, which is close to here, uh, contacted me. I went and interviewed for the girl's job, and, and the guy promised me the job. And then uh, they were looking for a teaching position for me and then um at the very and so at that point i resigned from amelia academy at the at the end of the year and they said um or then they hired a new coach and then in the mid mid-june i get called from the ad asked me to come in there and the principal took the job away before i could sign the contract and gave it to the boys jv coach and who lasted there a couple years and um so I was left without a job. And then um, at that point, um, you know, uh, you know, I was managing a pool. So I, I got a pool job to help supplement my income. And uh, the governor's school opened up here, Maggie Walker Governor's School. And um, I interviewed for both the boys and the girls job and pretty much got my choice. And I chose the girls and, and I was there for two years. And, and let me tell you, you, you said there, you, you, you call me a legend. Well, that's kind of a joke because anybody that has talent is a legend. And when I was at Maggie Walker, and this is not a slight to the girls, these were the smartest girls in the state of Virginia at this governor's school, but they couldn't play a lick of basketball. And so uh, we ended up, I think I won five games the first year, six games the second year. Um, and, and we were competitive. I mean, we, we took pride in being competitive. We just couldn't be competitive for a whole game. And then so I ended up uh, at the end of the second year, the Monacan High School, where I'm at now, coach contacted me who coached AAU in my program. And um, she said, look, I'm, I'm going to step down in a year. If I can get you in, would you be willing to come? I said, heck, yeah, I'd be willing to come. And, and so she ended up getting me at Monacan, and I stayed her assistant for two years, um, which I had never been an assistant before. I stayed her assistant for two years, and I learned a lot from her and then took over the job in 2003. Yeah, and just from reading, reading about you, there's a lot, there was a lot of talent going in 
monikin correct i mean they're they're it seemed like the pool was uh full of good players you already knew that correct so you're kind of going into a good situation yeah so some of those kids had played in my aau program and it was a good situation she wanted to stay until she got rid of the senior class which had an all-state point guard who now is an assistant coach at norfolk state um uh so she wanted to stay the head coach for those two years both years we were ranked number one both years. We got beat in the state quarterfinals, and then the next, and then she resigned, uh, which I knew it was going to be one or two years. And then uh, I got the job, and and we had a whole, a brand new whole starting lineup. We started fresh, but you know we we had talent. My daughter was on that team, and and we had talent. And we started building from there. Yeah, talk about. Let's talk about for those coaches who are are going to be starting new programs. You coming in, what was your philosophy in your program? I know you mentioned before about uh, coaching at the previous school that did not have a lot of talent. You probably did your best coaching job, probably at Maggie Walker. People right. don't realize that just to create a competitive atmosphere is really tough. What was your culture and philosophy you were trying to create at Monacan in your first year? Well, you know, I had been through Maggie Walker, and, and uh, let, let me just briefly tell you a quick story about Maggie Walker. These girls were so smart, and I was coming from Louisa High School. I was in, you know, I wasn't smart enough to teach at Maggie Walker, so I was just coaching there, and I was coming to practice, and my um, head coach, and it was about an hour trip, and my assistant coach was there with the girls, and when I got there, all the girls were sitting on the floor, and I said, what's going on? And she said, they're not going to practice until they have a, a little talk with you. I said, okay. So the head girl who I knew who had played AAU with my daughter, who was a senior, she said, I'm the spokesman. I don't agree, but I'm the spokesman. I said, okay, what's up, Jackie? And she said, um, they, they have some complaints about how you coach. And I said, well, what's that? I said, with the yelling? And they said, well, that's part of it, but they think our practices are too long. They think they're too hard. And they don't think they should practice on Saturdays. <laughs> so I said, I said to the girls, I said, um, I looked at them. I said, hey, guys, look, the thing is, all the good programs, the Midlows, the James River, the Monicans, they all practice on Saturdays. <laughs> and, and another girl stood up and she looked at all of her friends and she said, coach, we are not Midlow. We are not James River. We are not Monacan. We really don't want to do that. But they did, you know, and it was kind of a funny story. So when I came to Monacan, it was a whole different mindset. You know, we had some talent. Of course, as an assistant, I didn't agree with everything that was going on. I, I, I would change some things, but she was a great, I thought she was a great coach. And we're going to talk about practice schedule today. I, I changed the way I practiced after coaching with her for two years. Um, she totally changed my mind on something that I had never never thought would work. And then, um, uh, so I saw a mindset of kids that wanted to play ball, that a lot of them were playing AAU, um, you know, and I felt like um, she was a good influence on me, the, the head coach. But when I took over, I was going to do things a little bit differently. I'm more... She was strict, but I'm a lot more strict. And a lot of the kids that came up to play for me after that group graduated, because it's I think it's hard for a new coach to walk into a program that has existing players under the old coach. That's a hard situation to be in. 
And I don't know if I could have gotten as much out of those girls as she did. Um, but when the new group came, a lot of those kids had played AAU. They knew me in AAU. They knew how I coached. And, um, and then so it was just building that culture. But the culture was already here. And that's one of the things I talked to Kara Basile about. She didn't have that culture. It takes a while to build that culture. Well, I was lucky because I followed Natalie White, and she had a very similar culture. I just probably took it another level. Yeah, and you mentioned some great points right there is you can still come in. A lot of us come into places where they're not very successful. So you came into a totally different situation where they've had success, but you kind of adapted it, which I think was really smart to your personality, to your strengths. So you, you really believe that coaches have to, they have to coach to their personalities, right? So if you're an easygoing guy, you can't be like the other intense coach. So always right. be yourself, right? That's exactly right. And you know, and, and you've heard this, this all the time, that a team takes the personality of a coach. Well, that's what I've seen with my teams over the years. You know, the, the intensity, the fire, the work ethic, you know, 99% of my girls buy in and the ones that don't buy in end up going away. Um, and, and that's the culture we built. And I think me being a male and being with this deep, loud voice, you know, uh, Natalie coached a lot of the way I coach. She, she was dynamic. She was fiery. But there's a big difference sometimes when a big guy is yelling at you and, and, a, and a, uh, <laughs> a smaller female is yelling at you. And, and that's where I think some of the difference was. Um, but I just took what she did because she did a great job, and I just built on that from there. So what, what are your core principles at Monacan on that? I know we have certain things that we believe in my program, but what are some core principles that you guys really kind of uh, live daily in your program. Things you can always go back to. Yeah, well, the, there's a few things that that uh, um, that we do that many programs do, but we do it religiously to the point that kids live it. One is being on time. Nobody's ever late. You know, my rule of thumb is, if you're late, you run five baselines for every minute you're late. Well, the girl that just graduated or will graduate from U of R, their point guard, who was a great player played AAU for me in high school. Um, she showed up one day and we have an argument. I said she ran 70 baselines. She said it was 80, but you're only running them five at a time with the clock on. And, um, uh, but everyone understands that. So I see my team like if, you know, when Karen and Leslie were playing or my daughter was playing in college, uh, I would get up, we'd practice at, at six o'clock, 5.45 in the morning. And the kids would get there at 5.15, 5.30, just stumbling. But if somebody wasn't there, they were texting right away, you know, trying to get those kids there. Um, so that's one thing we have. It's, it's being on time. The other thing that everybody knows when you come here is that you are going to work as hard as you ever worked. Um, there is a no slack time. You know, when we do a drill, it's 100% hustle or you run. Um, you know, and, and uh, everybody knows that when they come here. And the last thing I think that they know here is defense is, is key. We preach defense, we work defense, and the offense comes from the defense. And you can watch my teams through the years, um, especially when I have a new group of girls. 
um, that defensively we're all over the ball, but we can't score a lick. But by the end of the season, we're scoring 70, 80 points um, because the offense, to me, follows the defense. And and so everybody knows how hard you have to work. And it's a, it's a culture shock for um, – for freshmen coming in here. Every year we have freshmen either leave or they come here wanting to play here and then they see what it's like and it's just a culture shock. And, you know, the twins, Kara and Leslie, who coach for me, and Leslie's still my assistant, you know, they talk about it all the time. and said, we went through that culture shock as a freshman. People don't realize, you know, what it's like when you come in here. And, and we take a lot of pride. And my kids that have been through it take – that much more pride by the time they're juniors and seniors they're pulling these young kids along it's it's you know I remember Megan Walker one time we were doing a drill on hedging and trapping and and Megan you know said to me or said to the girls because my seniors a lot of times will stop practice and fix stuff and Megan said uh, look this is the Monican way this is the way we do it we don't care what you did other at other places but if you want to play for Monican you're going to do it this way and when I heard the number one recruit in the nation saying that, I said, wow, that's pretty cool, you know, that, that she had bought into the system that well. Yeah, I love that. And, um, yeah, it, it, you have to – I guess you only learn that through experience because I think a lot of kids probably come in and say, hey, man, this guy's really tough or whatever. But that discipline, the girls know that that discipline will carry you through the tough times, right, Larry? Yeah, and, and you know, I, I talked to parents yesterday – of my two first team All-Staters who are both graduating. And one of the things that they said is, you know, one's playing volleyball, one's playing soccer right now. And one of the things that they said, the parents told me was, it's just such a shock for them to go to different sports because it is so different. Um, and I hear that all the time. And then I've heard of kids that have graduated and, and they're in the, you know, they're working out in, in the world and, and they'll come back and they'll say, man, just the fact of the discipline that we had there, you don't realize how important it is until you're out in the real world. So I get some of those compliments and, uh, and take a lot of pride in them. Yeah, that's what it's all about, Larry. You're trying to help these people become good citizens right out in the real world. I mean, and you can't show up late to work and keep a job. So uh, I love that. And I, I got to tell you a little story, too. My best player – uh, Destiny McClendon is going to be playing at Tennessee Chattanooga. We have early morning practices too, Larry. And she came in late and the whole team ran. And we and she she actually did that twice, just one minute late, and the whole team ran. And and you, you after a while, like you were saying, the kids started texting each other on you cannot be late. They took pride in that. And that carried us really to the great season that we had. Now we lost. So, I mean, sometimes you lose no matter what. But um, I think that discipline really carried us throughout the year. So those things are vitally important. Being on time is underrated. Oh, I, I, listen, I agree. And, 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 and the best thing is that your upperclassmen teach the younger kids on what's expected. And, and so for me being here for so this is my 16th year here, um, actually my 18th year here, but 16 as head coach, um, uh, the kids now make my life so much easier because they they do a lot of the teaching and I don't have to do it as much. They set the standard. Yeah, that's cool. You develop that that legacy, that tradition, which is really so cool. And hey, who are the great mentors that you believe in? I know uh, Coach Acock, who's right here. He's 
he's a great mentor of mine. I can act, he can give me feedback on my team and it's uh, unbiased. Uh, who are your mentors that you rely on, Coach, to get information? I know you know a lot of them that are on the, the text messaging. I, I, get all, right. I get all those too. So, But who are some great mentors that you believe in? Well, first off, you know, my football coach, it's funny, my football coach, high school football coach in Ohio, taught me to be a stickler for perfection. You know, we always had a top-rated football team. And, and I've always remembered that from the time I've graduated high school. And, I, and he's in his late 70s now, and, and I haven't talked to him in many, many years. But, um, you know, I got a lot of that from him. And then, you know, from as far as people around here, like the boys coach here, I bounce things off the boys coach all the time. We've become great friends. We actually started at Maggie Walker together. He was the boys coach. I was the girls coach. Right. And uh, so we both learned what it was like to lose. And then um, and he, of course, won a state championship. And then just the, this peer group that's developed that, that Hedrick has put together has just been great with feedback. You know, Franklin Harris at Highland Springs has been a competitor of mine for many, many years. Um, we always have, we normally have two of the three or four best teams in this area. And, um, you know, getting feedback from coaches like that. Um, and then there's college coaches that I've always, uh, you know, I've always looked forward to or looked up to. You know, one of, I got my press that we started running the press about 10 years ago. It is a dynamic press, and um, I got it from uh, just a videotape on Skip from Skip Prosser. And then, you know, when he passed away, um, his assistant, um, what was his assistant, got the head coaching job's name, or head coaching job. Um, I'll think of it in a second. I played Legion baseball with his brother. So uh, after Skip Prosser died, I had some questions on this press, and they had coached Xavier together and called him. And, man, he sat there for an hour with me on the phone just walking through some of the intricacies of the press. You know, so I look for – I look up to – and I follow and look, I, I never quit learning. That's one thing that I have learned. That's why this chat group that we're part of is so important because I hear ideas on there all the time from some of these great coaches. Um, and I, I do, and there's so many different ways to do it right, you know, and so I'm seeing people that do things differently. You know, I listened to you and Kara last week, you know, talking about the mistakes and how you let people, how you, allow your girls to make mistakes so they're comfortable doing that and I'm just the opposite you know it's just you know it's just <laughs> it's just the opposite but it works for everybody you know everybody's system if they're dedicated to it and they believe in it it all works so you know some of the great coaches that I've always followed I, I'm a big Bobby Knight fan and <laughs> that probably turns a lot of people's stomach today I'm a big Pat Summit fan I'm a big Gino fan you know um, I love watching those guys coach and I know one thing most of my kids that went on to college always came back and said their college practices were so much easier than their high school practices except for Megan Megan went to Connecticut and said you know what I'm the only one that's halfway prepared and I wasn't prepared those practices are so hard you know so you know I um, I've always looked up to Gino too yeah, and okay, let's talk about the game last night. Everybody's talking about Larry. It's like, all right, that was a foul, but I mean, it was an obvious foul. But how would you? Of course, I love the two coaches. Oh, out. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, I guess you let them play at the end. So, what's your 
what's your take on that? Obviously, there is no verticality. She was it was a foul, but do you have to play through that when the whistle? I mean, obviously the uh, referee swallowed the whistle there. So, what's your right. idea on that last play? Well, I, personally, you know, I'm a UConn fan, so I know how I feel. But the the fact of the matter is, as a coach, I've been on both sides of that situation, in that situation, and and. You know what? If they're letting them play during the game, which they were, they're letting them play during the game, you let that call go. That's the way I feel. Um, you know, we had a similar situation the year we went 30-0. and 0. Uh, We only won by one uh, in the state championship game. And uh, it very easily, they, uh, my two guard hustled down and the girl was going in for a layup to win the game for, for the other team. And Sure looked like she fouled her to me, but the officials didn't call it, which was good for us. And, of course, the other team was going nuts. But I, I'm one that believes that you shouldn't make that decision at the end of the game um, if you've been letting some of the rough play go. Yeah, it, it can go either way. It's one of those things, hey, if you're, um, if you're Gino, you're going, man, okay, yeah, yeah you know. Uh, I love his response afterwards. <laughs> but uh, – but you know what? Baylor has a great program. There's no shame there. Hey, talk about some of the great players who have played for you. And we talked about Kara and so forth. I'm going to name a few. And tell me if I'm missing somebody. Uh, Michaela Parson, Megan Walker, just recently Jordan Hodges. Um, you've had some great players come through there. Uh, is that through your player development or just through the, the great culture, the tradition you have built there? Well, I think it, the majority of it's through the culture. I mean – I think that they're they're very good when they get here, but I think the way we play makes them better, and um, uh, and our philosophy and our culture makes them better. But I will tell you, a lot of those kids, you know, I'm in a county with 12 high schools, and they have these specialty centers, and you have to be smart to get in the specialty centers. An interview process, grades, and 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 I'll tell you, I have no say. So people think I have say so. I absolutely have no say so, but a lot of these kids that have come, have come through the specialty center and they've come here to play basketball. Um, you know, so I, I've been lucky in that regard, but a big part of that is the culture we've built, you know, but I've been, listen, my point guards, I have, from the time I've been here, I have had one good to great point guard after another. And, um, you know, and they keep getting better, you know, like, so it started with my daughter who played D2, who was very, very good. And then um, it went, every every point guard I've had has gone on and played four years of college, um, including Kara. And then my last three were all first team, all state. Michaela Parson played for Richmond for four years. I think she was a thousand point scorer there. Um, her sister, Alex, was a freshman when she was a senior. Um, became a great point guard there, and Hodges right now, the one I just graduating, um, she just she's incredible, and she's going on to Liberty to play. Um, you know, so I've been very very lucky with the point guards, but I've had other great players. That that team with uh, Alex Parson, you know, we had Megan Walker's Division One, of course, we had uh, Jaden Morris, who now is at Norfolk State Division One. Um, we had uh, Jasmine uh, Norman, who started, who really was a low-level Division One guard, but ended up going Division Three. Um, and then, you know, I had that workhorse who's at Division Three now, and and um, is one of the best players in the ODAC. 
um, that played for that. And then probably my first three kids off the bench all played in college. Um, so that team just had one college kid after another. Um, this group here, you know, there's probably going to be out of the senior group, only one's playing basketball. I'm only losing three seniors, but I got some younger ones that are definitely going to be D1 and, and D2, D3 when, when they graduate. So I, I've just been lucky. But the thing is, they come here and, and, and listen, I've had some really good players have come here and quit and transfer. You know, they just could not deal with it. I've had good players that this was their home school that went to another school because they didn't want to play here. Um, so it's worked against me, too. But uh, as far as these kids coming here that want to play basketball, they, they got to be smart. They have to get into the specialty center, and then, um, and you know, we can't recruit. So they're doing this just by reputation and word of mouth. And so I've been really, really lucky who's been coming in here. Yeah, I, I think I think you're you're you probably didn't explain everything because when I I got I read a quote from Hodges, and he, she was talking about you, and this is what she said. She said, "Our relationship over the years has grown stronger, even though I'm leaving." it's still going to be there because he's just that type of person. He's not just a coach. He's a friend as well. You just don't, that just doesn't happen coach. So you seem to be a relationship builder, which is key for kids these days, right? It is. And it helps like in now having Leslie Basile, who's 28 here, you know, who played for me, he's been through all this and closer to their age. So my relationship with these kids still continues to grow but it's not all me. It used to be all me. And, um, but you know, these kids that work hard, you know, we stay in contact after school. I, I remember when I first came here because a lot of these kids played AAU for me, they called me Larry. And, um, I had a parent complain to the principal about it. So I went to the principal. I said, look, if you want, if you want them to call me something different, I'm fine. Cause in the classroom, they don't, they know not to call me in the school by my first name, but there they would call me Larry on the court. And he said, no, because I see the discipline you have. I, I don't have a problem with it. And so that's kind of, I still have kids call me Coach Star, but a majority of my varsity kids end up calling me Larry by the time they're seniors. And then we stay in touch after they graduate. Actually, I rode my motorcycle up to Davis and Elkins in the fall. Um, my two guard from last year's state championship team is up there. And uh, went up, took her to lunch, and, and you know, because it's a great motorcycle road, has back roads, and then and rode back home. So Jordan and I have developed a really good relationship. I'll tell you, she's a special player. Um, she's just so smart, but she's so good, but she's so smart. And like I said, you couldn't win these games if you didn't have those type of players. Yeah, you got to have great point guards on that. Is that just by, by luck, or is that something within your system that – you, you need a girl that's going to be pushing the ball, call out your defense in front of your press. I mean, you have great point guards for a reason. Is it because of your system? Well, first off, they were great players when they came in here, the majority of them. And, um, but I think our system helps them because they're key. You know, and as you know, they're, they're a coach on the floor. So all my, every point guard I've had has been very, very smart. Um, you know, and they amaze me some of the things they just pick up on, things that I don't pick up on. And so I've been really, really lucky. And then this year, you know, I had a freshman that started for me who worked her way in as a two guard who will be my point guard, I'm assuming, next year. And 
you know, if people looked at her, they say, okay, she's an okay ball player, but I have a feeling by the time she gets out of here, she's going to be a great player. You know, I think our system helps, helps that with point guards because we're fast, we're moving the ball, we, we run set plays when we have to. It's just you have to read the defense. There's just so many things that they have to do. Yeah, I love that. Coach Pete, uh, do you have a question for Larry? Because I, I know I know Larry hasn't built this program by luck. What do, what do you see in what he's talking about in building this program? Well, hey, coaches, this is Nick Bartlett, marketing manager here at Dr. Dish Basketball. And we're thrilled to be a part of the 2020 Championship Vision Virtual Clinic. Coach Kevin Furtado has been a great friend of ours for a few years now, and we greatly appreciate his commitment to growing the game the right way and providing great resources to the basketball coaching community. At Dr. Dish, we're always here to help as well with our state-of-the-art equipment, drills, and content. If you're ready to upgrade to the best training machines in the world and join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, Louisville, and countless others, we'd love to have you as a part of the Dr. Dish family. Remember, we take trade-ins on all shooting machines, including competitors, for significant discounts. And just by registering for this clinic, you're eligible to receive an additional exclusive $300 off your next Dr. Dish purchase. For more information, visit our website at drdishbasketball.com. Give us a call or shoot me an email directly at nick at drdishbasketball.com. And make sure to follow us on all social media channels at drdishbball. Um, it's very similar to what I tried to do all the years that I coached uh, at the JUCO level in high school. I remember I had a kid talking about punishing him for not being on time. He came the second time, and I told the manager, go get a Coca-Cola and a big glass of ice. And I sat him down in a chair, and I put the rest of the team on the line. And I ran them till my assistant coach begged me to make them stop. He was never, ever late again. We never – I can't remember anybody being late. So it is punishment, but it is necessary sometimes. And I, I, I saw after practice one of the toughest guys I've ever known that played for us. He was 5'9", but he played inside. And he was a tough guy, but a nice guy. He pinned him in a corner. And I pretended to like I wasn't looking. <laughs> and we never had a problem with that. But, no, I got a hold of uh, Jerry Tarkanian's material really early on in my coaching career. And there's an assistant he had that was the first guy to make a million dollars as assistant coach uh, in the NBA. And I got hold of that material. It was very simple. But it was just pressure man-to-man running jump for the whole program. And, you know, if you're going to do that, there can't be any casual in your practice. There's no casual, no walking. I think a lot of the stuff that you do and there's, there's no excuses. You just didn't get it done. And it's uh, about being accountable. And, but yet, at the same time, keeping it very simple. And I, it's simplicity a part of your program? Is that something that you look for? Do you try to V it down or do you have just a, a whole complicated system? And people do it different ways. And what are the things that you, you absolutely emphasize? I always said this to my kids, the five best defensive players are going to start, period. And it was amazing how my five best players always became the five best defenders. And that's a, something, you know, that you, we didn't, we just, there's no, no, uh, you know, just, you, we just didn't, uh, didn't look the other way on that. We didn't compromise on it. 
And I, I kind of sense that with you, the way you run your program, you've got it out very, very clear and there's no compromising. And I think a lot of coaches can't do that. But I remember Sonny Allen was up there from Virginia, was at Old Dominion for years, run the numbered break. I got so much from him. But guess what? They didn't even play man-to-man -man defense. He said, we don't work on defense, but just very, very little. And they averaged about 90 points a game running the numbered break, you know. So there's a hundred ways to do it, I guess. But uh, I think this, I think that when it comes down to it, and I think I sense this from you, when it comes down to it, the toughest, most aggressive teams that play great defense, which includes rebounding, they're going to win that basketball game. They're going to win championships. And I've not seen any other. I think the other way you can win a lot of games, but I don't think you can win that last championship game unless you've got five great defensive players that go get the rebound. But anyway, that's just uh, kind of what I sent to you. Yeah. I'll tell you, you just, <laughs> you couldn't have picked better words because you say everything that I believe in. You know, it is for us the five best defensive players, you know. And I have kids that are more talented coming off the bench because they don't play the defense. And when they make a mistake, they know they're coming out defensively. So we work on defense all the time. And everybody knows that that's here. And I'll tell you where it's helped me, in, especially in some of the early years where I wasn't as talented as I am now, um, you know, we were able to compete against the top teams in the state just because of our defense. You know, we might not be able to score a ton of points, but we were able to compete because of our defense. And um, – I think, I think, Pete, you said something about, you know, what are some of your rules of thumb? Well, I'll tell you one thing is before we put our press in, you know, we, we try – Ken COVID's throwing everything off. But our team camp, when we go to team camp, we don't have our press in. But the thing is, we're picking the ball up. As soon as it's – as soon as they take the ball out, we're in full court deny, man-to-man, -man, and then you have to be within a foot, foot and a half of your defender or your offensive player the whole time um, bringing the ball down the court. And if you let them walk that ball down the court, you're coming out. You know, so we get that philosophy instilled right away. Absolutely. You know, and then the press makes it – you know, we've done that piece. Now we got to put the press in when in our preseason is how we work it. But that – you know, exact everything that you said is what I believe in. Everything that you said is how I coach. Yeah, it sounds like you and Coach Acock have a lot of similarities. I know he's all about defense and rebounding. Larry, let's talk about all right. Let's talk about practice organization because that's what our podcast is about. Um, do you focus mostly on? Tell us about your philosophy. Since you're a defensive coach, do you spend eighty percent on on defense, or how do you break it down? Well, I, I break it, you know, every, every, uh, actually, I'll show you a practice schedule here. Um, let me, how do I present here? I go to. Uh, share screen. Share screen. Okay. Share screen. Yes, sir. So let me see here. I guess I'm in the right place. All right. So I, can you see this? Yes, sir. It's coming right up. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So the way our practice schedule, and, and I do it the same way every day. And and one thing we're talking about practice organization that I think is important. And and there are coaches that disagree with this, but I do my practice schedule when I come to work first thing in the morning, or maybe I worked on it the night before, because when that first bell rings, 
my whole team ends up coming in here to get a practice schedule. And, and because our practices are, I think, so mentally and physically draining, I think it's important that they see it so they're prepared mentally. You know, it's, it's not, I'm not sticking it to them at the last minute, you know. So uh, we do that, and so everybody comes in, not everybody, but probably 90% of them come in, and they get the practice schedule. So I always do it early. You know, but the way we start out, when you're talking about how much I de devote to defense, if I have a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour practice, which I believe in long practices, um, although, you know, this year they were shorter because of COVID, um, probably 30% of what we do is tied to defense, okay? The other part is, you know, you see at the, uh, at the very beginning, you know, we'll do uh, – we have an ACL prevention program because we've torn a lot of ACLs over the years. And then we do this dribbling every day, every day. You know, it's more of a loosen up thing, but everybody's handling the ball. And then we go into a layup drill. We do the same. I mean, let me just say this. I have had so many kids tell me how monotonous my practices are, but because they're constantly moving, because nobody's standing still, it's not that monotonous to me. And I love practice, by the way. <laughs> I love it a lot more than the kids do. Um, but anyway, so we go into a different layup. We have all kinds of different layup drills, but we'll do an, a layup drill. And everything has got time on the clock. Everything is full speed. If you don't run full speed, I'm going to stop it, and you're just going to run baselines. And we have five baselines. If you're a guard, you're running 27 seconds. If you're a post, you might run it – 29 and if you don't make it you got to run it again and if you don't make it you got to run it again during your break time um, so everybody understands if they fall out of a run or they don't make the time that they're going to run during their break and um, uh, and I have my managers just say, okay he owes me five or she owes me five she owes me five and then during the water break she's got to come and do her five in time so you end up running double and um, than what you would have normally run but you've got to hustle from the get-go so everything we do is hustle you know and then we'll usually go into a shooting drill just to get let the legs get a little bit of rest um and we're always practicing free throws we have a pretty good free throw drill that that works well for us and then after that it you know we might have a couple drills but they're tied to defense everything is defense from then on um for the next probably 35 40 45 minutes okay and and we finish here if you look at the defense in this one help rotation fast break well we're working our fast break off the miss okay but it's all about help rotation and rebounding and usually if we don't have a rebounding drill in we concentrate on rebounding uh in that drill you know everybody's got to box out if one person doesn't box out we add numbers, and then at the end of the drill, they're going to run these baselines for time. Um, but it, it's all about hustle. So that's about where we'll end the defense. So somewhere in here, you know, and I always do defense early. I never do – offense is always last because I want them to have as fresh a legs as they can for defense. And then I want them to be as tired as they can for offense. And so that's kind of how we break them down. And then we start going into some of the offensive stuff. Now, if you take a look down here, we have press break versus diamond and verse two, one, two. Sometimes during the end with the offense, we, um, 
we're, we're preparing for an opposing team, you know, whatever they're running. We'll do that at the very end. Um, but I'm a believer, too. I mean, we scout everybody. We give scouting reports to our kids every game. Um, my assistant, Leslie Basile, does a great job. Uh, she's Now she's kind of taken over that scouting portion for me, which it used to be all me. And then um, – but – I think we do a really good job there, but the bottom line is I tell our kids, I said, look, we are a great team. We are a very good team. They have to stop us. We're going we're gonna to show you some things that they do, but the bottom line is, are they going to be able to stop you at what we do? And, and so we don't always spend, a, we don't, we spend some time on the scouting report, but working against their stuff, unless it's something we haven't seen a lot, we're not going to spend a lot of time working against it. Yeah, I love it. And uh, how do you incorporate? Um, I know a lot of people talk about rebounding. I think I think rebounding is the most undertaught skill or emphasized. How do you guys? You guys can't be a great team without being a great rebounding team. Is rebounding no, part of every drill you do? It is, and and everything that we do is uh, that we're doing like a, a press or a shot goes up, everything is five people better box out. I mean, that is just key. And uh, we work on that on everything, and we, we document that if it's not working. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, I just, you know, we lost in the regional semifinals this year to a, a team that won the state championship. And we should have won that game. I mean, I've watched that game three or four times since then. I get mad every time I watch it because of the missed box outs the missed layups, you know, all little things that we work on, yeah. you know, we just didn't have it that day and, and it cost us a game. And so, but yeah, we work on rebounding all the time. We have a, I got a rebounding drill. I think I got this from Skip Prosser too. Yeah, yeah, please. Call, we, we call it Nick's. Okay. And with Nick's, what we, it's a physical, physical drill. So I only do it once every few weeks because I'm afraid of somebody getting hurt because it becomes a battle. We divide the team. Let's say we have 12 players, so we'll have we'll divide them equally, six and six, and you know they'll switch their pennies around, and so we'll match them up. So under the basket, you got two kids under the basket on the defensive end who have to box out when the shot goes up. I throw the shot from around the foul line, trying to miss, and we have two kids starting. That as soon as the shot goes up, they're crashing the boards, and then you just keep put. It's like 21, you know. What we used to play, you just keep putting it up and you can foul them as hard as you want to foul them. They got to put it up and it, it becomes, um, there, <laughs> it becomes a rough, rough drill. I can remember, uh, that, uh, three times state championship team that I had, man, they used to battle. It was, they were just going crazy. They were saying some words that, you know, most of my kids don't ever say at practice, but they were because it was such a physical battle. But we do that once every few weeks, and we'll always, probably every other day, do a five on a perimeter box out, you know, where we'll work the ball around the top, uh, around the three-point line, and take a shot, and five people are crashing the boards, and five people are trying to box out, you know. Um, and then every time we run help rotation fast break every day, and that's a 10-minute drill. It takes us 10 minutes to get through it. And every time every time they have to box out. So just about any time somebody takes a shot, we're working on boxing out. Yeah, that has to be emphasized in every drill, I know. And, but even though, hey, talk about, I, 
this might be just adjusting the, our topic a little bit, but even though you emphasize it all the time, what separates, like you mentioned before, I know in our Elite Eight game, we didn't rebound that great either. And we actually work on it every single day. Is it, that, that's just the human. Sometimes that our, our kids just either mentally or whatever, or they just get beat by a better rebounding team. And what, what was your case? Why do you think that happened in your particular game? I know you looked at it. I know I looked at my game. So what are some issues with that, even though you work on it all the time? Well, it's, it's mostly like I'm, when I watch film, you know, and, and again, because Leslie does all of our scouts and, and our stats, uh, this year I did stats because of huddle, but normally, or because of COVID, but normally we have huddle assist. I'm able to just watch the film and enjoy the film from a coach's perspective. And, and I'm really proud of my team because my team, 90% of the time, five people find a body you know, and they're very aggressive with it. You know, we teach them to grab and pull and, um, you know, they're very aggressive with it, but 90% of the time they do it. But like, and, and we preach this at practice too, when one person doesn't do it, that's whose man gets the rebound. You know, it happens religiously. And and in this, this particular game uh, that we lost, that probably happened 15 times. And the girl that was getting the rebound was a 6'3 sophomore guard who can dunk, who is just an incredible player. And she was just getting easy putbacks because we weren't able to keep her off the boards. Um, you know, 90% of the time we do a great job, but it's it's just that somebody takes it off, they're tired, whatever, it's always their man that gets the rebound. And that's what we preach to them. Yeah, don't you feel, though, Larry, um, I know all the coaches that are on the message board some have won some have lost I'm telling you and, and Gene Durden and I both lost kind of similarly we both shoot a lot of threes and all, we have a lot of shooters you know I have finesse players um and we lost and I'm going I'm looking at my system going we won we were 25 and 0 with that system now we get later in the tournament should be we be more of a grind out team do you have to change because I don't think the three-point shot works late in tournaments I mean I'm, I'm, really, I'm really looking to change. <laughs> See, I, I don't believe that. I believe you go with what got you there. And, and I will tell you, you talk about us losing. You know, Jordan Hodges is a 45% free throw shooter. She's our leading scorer. She's state player of the year last year. Four-time All-State. Just a great player. You know, and, and, and this is kind of an excuse, but we had played the night before and ended up having a tough game. We won 64-58 against a team we should have blown out, but our shooting was horrible. And I thought, okay, well, we'll fix it the next day. Well, we were supposed to play two days later, and then they tell us because of an, a pending snowstorm that we had to play at 1 o'clock at their place the next day. So we finish at 10. Kids go home. I have them back in school at 8 o'clock to do a walkthrough because we hadn't really got to practice. And then we headed out there, and I think part of it was tired legs. But Hodges, who's a 45% free throw shooter, she shot five for 21 from the three. And the thing is, we were getting – and Leslie and I talked about this afterwards. We were getting great looks, one after another, and they weren't adjusting. And 99% of the time, she's going to make 10 of those shots and we just run away with the game, but they just weren't falling. And the further we went, the more she pressed herself. And and if she's not hitting from the outside, we're not the same team. And so that that hurt us too. But I think if you live, and I know Gene said this, you live or die by the three. That's true. 
but I'm a big believer in if that's what got you there, then you stick with it, you know, and, and you count on your defense to slow the other team down. And, and I'm also a believer that shooters got to shoot and they're going to make those shots, but that doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, and you're kind of seeing it. In, I've been watching the men's tournament a lot. Your teams like Alabama, teams that shoot a lot of threes. Um, Arkansas, too, hey, they're out. Um, and it's, but, you know, you just never know. But I guess you got to base it on the type of players. We didn't have, like, a big grind-out team. We had one tall girl. But uh, I think you're right. You, you, you got to do what you do, right, Larry? That's, I've always believed that, and I've <laughs> never strayed from that. And sometimes it's probably cost us. Um, but other times it's work where other, you know, I, I know like I've had my assistants in the past scrambling said, we, we got we to gotta change this. They know this is coming. Well, everybody in this, probably everybody in the state knows if you play us, they know exactly what we're going to do the whole game. It doesn't matter what the personnel is. I know a lot of people adjust for their personnel, but maybe I've been lucky and I've had the right personnel, but Everybody knows what we're going to do. It's not going to change. You could watch film of our games five and six years ago, and you see the same thing going on now. And uh, I'm just – I believe and we got something that works, and we just work toward that end. Yeah, whoever executes the best, right? I mean, it's that simple. Yeah, just, let's not fool ourselves. Um, hey, Larry, talk about, talk about your – how do you break down your defense? Um, obviously, I'm sure you work on footwork one-on-one, two-on-two. Talk about how you break down your, your defense and your practices. Well, some of the things that we do, and we do these drills pretty religiously, is, is one of the first drills that we do early. Um, and we might not do this throughout the entire year unless I'm unhappy with the pressure, <laughs> is we do a full court turning drill. You know, So it, it's, there's a lot of enthusiasm. It's full speed. The offense has a chance to blow by them. If, if you get blown by twice, you're probably going to run. Um, and our job is we don't teach step slide. You're going to sprint till you get your head on the ball and turn them, make them go the other direction and keep in, trying to keep within a foot and a half to two feet from the people. So we do that pretty often, and that helps teach what we're looking for in games. Um, we do a lot. And, and this is one thing that I, I think, uh, especially in women's basketball, um, a lot of coaches don't play man because I don't think they can teach it. You know, that's, that's my opinion. You know, we do all these little things and build it into what we do. Like we'll spend probably two, three days a week and maybe more early um, just doing five minutes of opening on away from ball screens, you know, and getting through those away from ball screens. We work every day on hedging and trapping. We, we always hedge and trap the ball always and we work on our rotation in the back, you know, where we're trying to get the steals. Um, so we're, those are drills that we do every day that help build to what we do. Um, of course, we do transition in the full court, you know, how we're going to handle. We want pressure on the ball as soon as it comes off the boards. But, um, you know, we're going to be beat sometimes. How are we going to handle transition? So we probably work on that two or three times a week. And, again, we do the same stuff. We do the corral drill where we're corralling, trying to get the trap, making them pick up the dribble. Um, we do a back tip drill. You know, if we get beat on the press, we're looking for that back tip. Those are things that we do. Um, we do charge drills. You know, I don't like to do the charge drills, but they, they get them because I'm afraid of somebody getting hurt. 
we two, three, four times a week, we work on bumping cutters. You know, there's nothing that upsets me that somebody cut between you and the ball. You know, so we work on on bumping cutters religiously, of course, boxing out. And um, then we spend probably 20 minutes of practice just working on our press. You know, um, this year it hurt us a little bit. But, you know, we didn't actually run our press because I didn't have time to get it in. And so we were just picking up full court. But I've always had some boys to run against. And this year, because of COVID, we couldn't do that. And my team just was not smart enough to pick the press up with no preseason. Had we had preseason, then we would have, we would have had our press in. But we, we'll spend 20 minutes a day on our press every day. That, that never changes. So that's kind of how we do it. It's, it's breakdown drills to our full court uh, press. If you had to do one drill, describe to me that one drill that you would do. If you just had one drill to do for your defensive system. Now, you're, it seems like to me you're a full court and a half court team. That's hard to be really good at both, or can you be good at both? No, we're, we're good at both. I've had teams in the past, though, that um, I've had to back off of the full court press, probably not in the last nine years. But early on, I've had to back off a of full court because they didn't understand our fundamentals on the half court. So we've had to, you know, we had to revamp and go back to the half court. But, um, you know, in the half court, the way we play defense is one pass away, it is your number in the passing lane. It's not your hand. It is your number in the passing lane. If we get beat back door, we have help and rotation back there to take care of it. But we tell them our whole goal in the half court is to not let anybody run their offense, not let them make that first entry pass into their offense. So we work very, very hard on that. We have a drill we call help rotation fast break. Um, we do it every day, but it works on so many things. First off, uh, you know, the way we do it is, and I wish I had it on film, but we throw the ball around the perimeter and everybody's got to close out. They got to talk. Everybody's talking all the time on defense and they close out. And then I'll blow the whistle. And when I blow the whistle, whoever has the ball is driving. And you got to let them drive. So they got to get beat. They got to go find the open man. We have opposite underneath coming for help because we don't ever stop help on the top. We always stop it underneath. And so we come over and we rotate the backside. And then it's a great box out drill. It's a great when I get mad because they don't take charges, I make them take charges in that drill. Um, you know, so we can work on almost everything that we do, at least in the half court end on help rotation fast break. Uh, why do you add fast break? Do you transition from that as well? Yes, uh, I'm glad you asked that. Yes, yeah, so that's our <clears throat> we do the fast break off the miss drill there. So, because we have a fast break off the make that we run religiously, but we practice that. Man, it's such a pleasure to be on Championship Vision Podcast, one of the premier podcasts for top high school coaches and rising coaches in the game of basketball. My name is Michael Williams, and I'm the founder of the Williams Advancement Agency. WAA is a full-service agency here to assist all coaches at every level to be successful in the position they are now and obtain the future coaching position they're looking for. It's separate here, whether the ball goes in the hoop or, or goes out, then we get the outlet and we run our break. And um, so that's every time. And I'll usually have two kids back on defense um, to run back and try to stop the break. And then we got to score against it. Larry, do you find the, and I know with my team is 
we might we might help on the first rotation, but on the recovery, sometimes that's that's where you get beat is on recovery, right? If you don't if you recover too slow on the closeouts, whatever, is that a problem in your defensive system or? It always is. You know, if if you don't get that first stop, sometimes you have problems. But I think we work on it so much, we probably have fewer problems there than maybe a lot of teams just because we're constantly working on it. And, you know, we'll watch if if we're not happy with the defense, you know, we find time to watch film with them. And, um, you know, look, this this is where we're making these mistakes. And when they see it on film, you know, they they understand it a little bit better. And um, but, yeah, I just I mean, if we don't get the first stop, I think that's any team. If you don't get that first stop, then you're a little bit of just playing basketball. Maybe you lose the concept of what your defense is about. But we do a pretty good job with it for the most part. Talk about now on on the offensive end of your practice. It seems like you have a lot of good guards that are highly skilled. Um, do you – and we don't have – nobody has a lot of time. Now, of course, with you, Larry, uh, with three-hour practices. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe <laughs> My I kids hate that. it. <laughs> um, about the three-hour practice for a minute because – when I had that, that team with Megan Walker, by the time they got to be seniors, because they were, what were they, 104 and seven in yeah. three, in four years or something, there was their record. And um, when they got to the end, I had all these coaches, Gino, um, Brenda Freeze, everybody was coming here, Jeff Walt. And uh, one of the things Brenda Freeze said to me really stuck because my we had peaked during Christmas with that team. We had played a bunch of top 20 teams, two from Georgia. and um, um, But we had played uh, a bunch of top 20 teams over Christmas, won all those games. And then I could start to see this team slipping from me a little bit. They just – they started thinking they were really, really good. They didn't have to work as hard. And it was constant battle. And Brenda Freeze came to practice one day, and she said – you know, Larry, you might want to shorten your practices a little bit. And I said, well, I really don't believe in that. She said, these kids have been with you four years. She said, make it an incentive. So what I started doing was I started building two-and-a-half-hour practice stuff with stuff I didn't care about at the end. And I said, look, if you guys work hard up to this point, I'll release you and you'll go. And I kept them on purpose a couple days to make sure they knew it wasn't just – you know, facade, and um, and then it, it worked for me. It started to work. But then when that group graduated and this group that I just had that won a state championship last year came in, um, it was a whole new group. I got back to what I was comfortable with, which was a three-hour practice. <laughs> yeah, and um, you can cover a lot of stuff in that time, but you'd be surprised, Larry, even in three hours, how time flies. How do you get all the ball handling the shooting, the sk- basketball is a hard game to coach. You got a lot of skills. What do you focus on on the offensive end? Great shooting. Uh, what do you do most of on the offensive end? Anytime we have extra time, we do shooting, okay, especially as the season's worn on because early on in the season, we're putting so much in defensively um, and trying to get our offense down that we might just shoot one time during that practice. But as the season wears on and they get more comfortable, and I might shorten practice to two and a half hours at that point, um, we'll spend, we'll probably do three shooting drills during the, the time just to get extra shooting in. Um, so we do do that. And I'll tell you, another thing that I do with these practices is we, and I will tell you this, I know this is against what a lot of people believe. We never, ever 
ever full court scrimmage. I never just throw the ball out, let them do it because I'm going to get so mad so fast because somebody's loafing, you know? So everything that we do is drill based and then it comes together in a game. Um, and, and we'll build from those drills to that stuff. But the one thing, if you look back at this, let me just show you again, this practice schedule. And this is one thing that I'm hoping there it is. Um, if you come back and you look at this practice schedule, all right, and you see near the bottom, okay, out-of-bounds place, who's there? Post work, who's there? Groups of three. I break everything down so when I'm going through here, I never have to take a minute to figure out who's going to be where. So for everything that we do, it's all broken down by part. who's your partner, what group of four you're in, what group of three you're in. and you know, because of that, even though it's a three-hour practice, one thing that I've learned is we can get so much more in than a lot of people because we don't waste time doing that. You'll never see me holding the paper saying, okay, let me see, you go here, you go here. Everybody knows where they're going. I have it written down so I can just say it really quickly. And, um, and so I think we cover more than maybe a lot of teams can cover with a schedule like that. Um, but, you know, the, the shooting, the more we go through the season, the more we shoot. And any extra time we have, we're not going to waste. We're going to shoot. Yeah, and you, I'm sure what you do is you, sh you shoot under contest, right? Because I'm sure you're, you guys practice contesting. Is that you guys do a lot of free shooting with no defense or you guys do it under duress? We do a little bit of both. Like, um, you know, I, I would say probably 75% is free shooting, but it's, it's all, I mean, everything's laid out, you know, whether it's a shoot away or the drill that we're doing. We'll do contested layups, you know, once a week. Um, as far as shooting, we have something called 45-minute shooting, and they have to run full speed. So they get the one person gets the rebound, fires it out, has to go out and close out that person. That person's got to shoot. And then that person gets a rebound and the other person's running a semicircle full speed. And we do it for 45 seconds and they get 15 second break as long as they're hustling. And so that's a contested shooting drill. But I would say the majority of our shooting drills are, are not contested. Yeah, that, that's an interesting topic in itself. I talked to a lot of coaches and it seems to be a majority of coaches do not teach a lot of contested shooting. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like our shooting gets better when we do a lot of contested shooting. Um, and I think it's, it's everybody's different, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's hard to get a lot of reps in that way, but I feel like you get a lot of game shots in. What's, what's your opinion on that? Well, I, I think you're right. And I think that works for you. You know, for me, it's more about getting reps. You know, I'm a believer that, you know, from the time I was in the military to the time from my football coach, everything was about repetition. And I, I'm a big believer in repetition. So the more reps that we get, um, I think the better shooting team. And we've always been a pretty good shooting team. I mean, we faltered like we did this year, but um, you know, I'm always shooting them on tired legs. They're always shoot tired legs. And we shoot, we have a great free throw drill. I think, uh, my players hate it, but it is, uh, everybody breaks down. They have usually three minutes this year. Cause this team was such a good free throw shooting team. I lowered it to two minutes and 30 seconds. Every time I lower time, they get mad and you get two at a basket, three at some baskets. And the whole team has 
that two and a half minutes to make five free throws in a row. And so by the time, and as soon as you make it, you and your partner, you say basket, somebody will run to the basket, or maybe there's just one person shooting. And then the whole team is around them trying to get them to make it because if they don't make it, they have to run five baselines in 27. They get about a 10-second break. Then they got to run five more baselines in 28. So it's a smoker, and we probably do that four times a practice, and it's always on tired legs. Yeah, so explain that again, because I, I love free throw drills. We, we, we use a lot of them. Um, so each group of two has to make five in a row? Well, no, each person has to make five in a row. So okay. Okay. You, sh you shoot, if you miss the first one, you switch with your partner. Okay. okay. And some baskets we have three at, although we have 10 baskets now, so it's never, we always have two now. But um, uh, so each person, if they make it, they keep shooting and until they make five in a row. If they miss, then they switch with their partner and they have the two minutes, 30 seconds or three minutes, depending on what I put up there to do that. Once they get it done, let's say there's another basket that has two people shooting and they haven't done it yet. They'll stop shooting and they'll say basket and everybody's got to run. You can never walk in my practices. So you sprint over to that basket. One person sprints there. One person that basket sprints. The other basket becomes a rebounder. And, you know, and then time's getting down 45 seconds, 30 seconds. And, you know, you might be down to one or two people and they're really feeling the pressure because they've run so much and now they're going to have to run more and the whole team's around them trying to cheer them on. Um, but, yeah, I had a kid quit over that who was a pretty good ball player because her dad told me after she quit, she couldn't handle the free throw drills because she was always the last one. She couldn't handle the pressure. Gotcha. And um, and she quit playing basketball because of it. But it, it's just a great free throw shooting drill. I've done it for many, many years. And, you know, we're a good free throw shooting team, although we lost this year in the regional final because we didn't shoot as well as we normally do. Right. But we average, we're probably a 70%, 72% free throw shooting team. That's really good, by the way. Uh, and sometimes you just have a flute game. I mean, I hate to say it. I mean, those things happen. Talk about competition in your in your practice. I'm assuming that you guys are competing to win. Always, you know. So I don't always keep score. Um, I always have the clock. The clock is running for everything that we do. Um, if I don't think that I'm getting the effort that I need to get, then I'll keep score. And there are a lot of drills that we will keep score. And um, But it, it's very, very competitive. And that's why I liked having the boys over the years because you know, I would only have two or three, but they could be on my best ball players. And, and uh, it, became, it becomes really a great battle. And, you know, I, I just I, – I remember last year one of our varsity players who was JV at the time, their JV season was over. And I brought him in to guard Hodges because I had, had nobody to guard Hodges. Right. And um, I remember Jordan in, in a drill that we were doing, broke his ankles and scored. And I just remember how impressed I was with this young man. He just gave her the ball. He said, that was one hell of a move. <laughs> you know, so. But, yeah, everything is, everything is competitive. And if it's not competitive, it's timed. And so that makes competition itself, you know, from the timing. Yeah, and you lose, you run. Correct. And, That's and exactly. Five baselines. So the Larry Star is known for the five baselines. I got 27 seconds, right, Larry? 27 yeah, Larry. or 29? 
Well, it depends. Like if, if I'll start out, like I'll give everybody 29, but okay. then my guards loaf. So then I divide them into two groups and make my guards go 27, my posts go 30, 29 or 30. Absolutely on that. Hey, I know you got to go and so forth. I appreciate you kind of hanging out with us. Um, hey, before you go, um, you, you talk about your season this past year. You, I, I think you're 11 and two. You, you didn't play a lot of games. That's probably that's tough to hand. That's tough to win if you're if you have such a short season. Was that a big part of why you guys maybe just didn't uh, kind of finish out stronger? You just didn't play enough games. What do you think? Well, I think that's part of it. I, the games, the, you know what killed us was no team camp, no postseason, no preseason. So we, that's all the time. We work harder probably than the majority of schools, and we, didn't, we weren't able to put that time in. So we're trying – you know, we lost from the state championship game the year before. We lost, I think it was four of our top six players. Yeah, four of our top seven players. And so we had a whole new group, um, you know, with a dang good point guard and a four. And um, so trying to get them in, that's why we couldn't get our press in. So I think that hurt us more than maybe it hurt other teams. And, um, and it took us a while to get our legs under us for the type of game we played. Um, I was really proud of my team because I really expected going through our district, which is pretty tough. I expected that we'd have four or five losses. And all of a sudden, we come out of here, we lose one game to an undefeated team, and we crush them the next game. And all of a sudden, we're nine and one. I said, wow, and we did a lot better than I thought we would do. Um, you know, so you could see them getting better. And I think what hurt us is one thing that our teams always do is they get better through the season. You, you see some teams don't. We always get better through the season. And we didn't get that opportunity, except for my undefeated team. That team got worse as the season went on just because uh, they had won so much. But they were still really, really good. Um, but I was really proud of these guys this year to, to be able to do that. We lost our six-man, six-two girl who's got some D1 offers. Very first game, first four minutes, she tore ACL. You know, so now we're down five of our top seven players from the year before. Um, so it, it was a challenge, but they did really, really well. Yeah, that's a credit to you and your coaching staff, though. I mean, uh, I, I just feel like coaching's underrated at the high school level. I think to keep a team focused every day requires great preparation, great coaching. I'm not sure if everybody's kind of into that. So that's a credit to you to kind of over the years to keep your team getting better towards the end of the year. I mean, some people say it's short practices, but not with Larry Starr. You're still practicing three hours. Um, no, but the girls but, uh, see the results. I think that's why they buy in. Exactly. Exactly. But a lot of credit exactly. to you and your staff, too. Yeah. Hey, Larry, give us some uh, – just what is some advice for coaches now that some younger coaches like coming in, uh, starting a new program? Uh, what are some advice that you can give to some young coaches that you have learned over the years? I, I tell you the best piece of advice I can give is, and I can do it from experience, is I have never veered away from what I believe in, whatever my beliefs are. And it doesn't matter who you are. I have lost some Division One players because they didn't want to buy into this belief system. You know, I had the top player in the nation at one point that probably wasn't really happy here her first couple of years, but bought into the system. And, um, and I never, you know, the parents know that they really have no say so with me. 
And I think the first time a new coach bends that and, and, and see, I've heard coaches say that you treat people differently, like your superstars treated differently than the last person off your bench. And I'm not a believer in that. I treat everybody the same way and, and they know how they're going to get treated when they get here. And I don't give in to parents. I don't listen to parents. I don't talk to parents much. And, um, and I would say if you can do that, you're, you're in good shape. But as soon as you give in to a parent, as soon as you give in to a player, a lot of the culture that you've built is gone. You know, everybody sees what's going on. And, and I, I've prided myself. I've, I've taken pride in what we've accomplished here with that. And now, you know, after having coach and Me- having coached Megan, you know, it really shows in the results, I think. Um, so a new player coming in, you know, these, these ninth graders come in and the parents think they're God's gift to basketball. And then it's a culture shock because they're not treated the way they were, at, you know, middle school and AAU. And so I think that's from a new coach. But, you know, I'm an old coach. I'm, I'm old. I'm old school. And then I look at people, you know, like you and Kara, I, I got in your conversation last week, you know, Kara grew up under me, but she's taken the new school approach with some of the old school approach. And I think that the right person can combine that and do great, you know, and, um, and I, that's what Kara's done. That's what our football coach does here. But, um, you know, I, I can't change. I'm just too old. (laughs) Pete, what do you think, man? I really love what Larry's doing with this program. I, what I love is he's consistent with what he believes in. That's important, right? Yeah. Um, Coach Starr, they can disagree with you and I and be wrong. That's their, that's their prerogative, right? Exactly. That's the way I feel, too. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> uh, no, I love uh, hearing what you're doing and um, – it kind of goes back. I can't say that I did everything as well as you're, you're doing it, but I can give a little testimony that, uh, that it works. If you have the courage to walk it out every single drill, every possession. And um, the only thing I, I could say, the greatest game I ever coached in was we had lost all of our players and we were in the middle of the season. We were playing the best our rivalry down the road. All five of their kids went and played college ball. And for the first time in my career, we played our full court man-to-man press, but as soon as the ball crossed the old hash mark line, we melted into a 1-3-1. And we beat them. But I never did it again. Now, that was stupid, wasn't it? (laughs) I mean, that was stupid. But I didn't. I went right back to the old full court man-to-man run and jump, you know, and we pretty much stayed with it and scored a lot of points. But – no, I love that style, what you're, you're saying. And I'll tell you what, our buddy Gene Durden, I went over and watched him practice. He invited me over, and I went over and watched. It's incredible. It's a lot like what you do, very much. He's not – I'll use the word terse. I won't say he's you – know, <laughs> but he is, and it's just hard. It's his way. And they run through a practice, and I tell you, it's, it's over two hours. And there is no stopping. It's just nonstop. And also, you mentioned something that I think is great. His senior girls will stop the younger girls and correct them and say, that's not the way we do it. 
you have to do it this way. And Gene's just over nodding his head, you know. Yeah. No, I was going to tell you, Pete, Gene calls me his brother from a different mother. <laughs> So, <laughs> is that right? <laughs> well, he's a he's a great guy. See, when I coached in junior college, I coached against him when he was playing against our rival. And um, I always tell Gene, I said, Gene, yeah, you were you were little, you know, but you were slow too. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> But he is uh, he he's got it going up here a lot like you do, and um, uh, I just enjoy hearing coaches like yourself talk about it. And uh, I still believe it all comes down to playing that great great defense and rebounding and just uh, fitness system, you know, to your players. And um, I'd love to see. I'm gonna try to get a huddle on y'all and watch y'all a little bit. But anyway, I've enjoyed listening to you today more than anybody I've listened to in a long time. Pete, that means a lot coming from you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Larry, you got to ask. You got to ask uh, Gene about Pete, man. Pete, he's, he's got a lot of great things out here. So, uh, hey, how can we get a hold of you? I have a lot of listeners. How can they get a hold of uh, Larry Starr? Hey, hey Kevin, let, can I tell you a quick story, real quick? I, yeah, I don't yeah. want to waste time. You know your um, your Twitter account, the Lady Titans. Yes. Well, one of, our, one of our biggest rivals here is Cosby. They're a Division Six program. They won four state championships, also, or yeah, they won four. And um, but they're the Titans. Well, you know, my technology is not that good. I'm just not technologically savvy. So I saw yeah. Lady Titans. I said, "Oh man, I'm gonna follow them." So yeah. I followed, and then it took me a couple weeks to figure out. It was somebody different. It was you guys. It's before we ever met. And then, uh, but the coolest thing was, I got something from your Twitter account. And we've talked, I've talked to Gene about it. Gene is going to adopt it also. Um, you did a parent practice. And you put all these pictures up there, your parent practice. And I adopted that. And I started having a parent practice. And it was the most fun, best thing for my parents to be in that gym with their kids. And, um, you know, so I shared that practice schedule with Gene um, because uh, he wanted to try it too. But I got that from your, your, your Twitter account. <laughs> okay, great, great. I'm glad I have a few things up there you guys can learn from. That's great. Yeah. I feel honored, but, Coach. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. I, I loved it. Yeah. But it's just funny. I thought you were somebody else. I didn't know. Right, um, right. A lot of Lady and, Titans out there. Yeah, but the uh, as far as getting a hold of me, you know, you you can always call me, and and my number is eight zero four seven two zero three five five one. And I just figured out the technology to block uh, robocalls. So if you're calling me and I don't have your number, just leave a message. Okay. Um, and then you can email me at school. It's Larry underscore Star with two R's at ccpsnet.net that's chesterfield county public schools net.net okay great larry thank you so much for adding to the virginia connection i i <laughs> gotta get franklin harris next that's my goal talk about yeah. a little 221 press that's my goal next well so, we're gonna play each other next year and we both call our kids are gonna be diaper dandies because they're both <laughs> gonna be young <laughs> absolutely on that yeah a lot of great coaches in virginia so 
Uh, Larry, thank you again for sharing with us. You're part of the Championship Vision family. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for coming on. And Kevin, th thank you so much uh, for having me. I really appreciate it. I feel honored to be on here. And Pete, it was nice talking to you, and, and your compliment is probably the best compliment I've had in two years. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, take care, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You all too. I'll see you later. All right. Hello, my name is Coach Charlie Miller, Headmaster Trainer with the TAC Basketball Academy in Dallas, Texas. I'm here to promote the upcoming Championship Vision Podcast Clinic Series brought to us by Coach Kevin Furtado from Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Coach Furtado is a well-respected, sought-after coach and found other coaches like him to share their best practices and secrets to success with players, parents, and teams. The clinic will provide two types of virtual clinics lecture style via Zoomcast, and on-court instructions with coaches and players. Again, my name is Coach Charlie Miller from Attack Basketball Academy, where we work with kids from third grade through high school in a positive and growth-oriented atmosphere that promotes a whole-body approach to well-being. Our programs are designed not only to improve your child's ability on the court, but also to teach him or her valuable skills that will serve them throughout their lives.